Welcome to another edition of the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you normally listen to your podcasts. My name is Frank Barker, the head of marketing at Azo Network, where you can also subscribe. And I'm joined by my guest this week, who is a sales and marketing leader and an expert in our subject matter today, having worked in analytical instrumentation and selling scientific equipment for over 25 years. He's currently the CEO of Transformational Scientific Marketing. It's Mr. Randy Byrne. Randy, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Frankie. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks, Randy. Uh, I'm currently held up in a makeshift recording studio in my basement, uh, so I can't complain. Um, But how is the mood currently in the US? Uh, Is it business as usual or are we still uh, getting over the shock of social isolation? I think um, many people are still, frankly, in a a state of shock given the the current circumstances. But um, I've always said uh, we know when we're getting past some of the difficult times when we start seeing more encouraging and uplifting um, stories. And we're, we're starting to see that now. So I, I think people are, you know, they batten down the hatches and making the most of the um, circumstances that we're, we're currently under. So, um, and, and everybody believes there's certainly much better days ahead, hopefully sooner rather than later. Great to stay optimistic. I think we all need to have some of that positive mindset. Now, you've been around sales and marketing for a long time, lots of experience. So how would you compare this to any previous crises that you've worked through? Well, um, un- unlike anything uh, that I've seen, and I've been around a long time, I, um, when I joined the workforce, although I didn't really realize it at the time, it was it was last century and it was in the middle of a re- recession, a rather bad one. And so, but I didn't, I didn't really understand it. For me, it was normal when I, I joined the workforce. But we, we got through that and then there was a boom time and then have been through a couple of other ones since then, of, of course, the um, even the, the, the difficult times of 2008, which which just, um, I think 2008, 2009, that period of time was very difficult for the scientific industry. This is much more different because it just came on much more sudden. I think people were more prepared. I remember the company I was in at the time in 2008 was budgeting under the assumption that there would be hard times in uh, in 2008, 2009, and that was correct. So this has been much more sudden, dramatic, and impactful, and um, we're still, frankly, in the in the middle of it. So remains to be seen how we how we will get through it. Um, but it's been quite disruptive in many many senses. Everybody having to work from from home and businesses closing down, which didn't happen in the last major recession. So this one has been much more um, dramatic with workers being affected, price of oil dropping, stock markets plummeting, and then, of course, the the, the, the desire to stay healthy. So th- this one has been certainly the worst I've um, experienced. So I th- certainly think um, there's been a shock of people not knowing necessarily what to do. Um, but you're brought in to help companies. So what advice would you give right now to a company faced with the challenges that lie ahead? Um, it may take a while before... Um, you know, industries and and companies um, recover, uh, but uh, there will be bright days ahead. And uh, you know, some companies take the tact of cutting um, marketing as as almost a first um, 
uh, approach and, 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 and people get involved in being cut. But for me, it's, it's a matter of planning for the future, having a little bit more of a, a, a long-term horizon. And, and the same is true on the, the marketing side to continue marketing, continue planning for when, when, when we come out of this so that they're in more top of mind in, in potential customers' mind and, and they find a way to um, you know, benefit the most um, early on coming out of the, um, the tough times. Yes, that's indeed the knee-jerk reaction that you see many companies make and often a mistake. But we've also seen the flip side of, of that where companies are taking advantage of the downtime, looking for opportunities within virtual events, webinars, podcasts, and other you know, online digital content. Um, we've even seen our neighbours just down the road here in Manchester at the Graphene Engineering Innovation Centre, the Geek, that's called. Um, they have, they've got all their staff, all the PhDs, all their academics working from home. But now they're actually able to say, right, well, let's create some content and let's run a web series of webinars and run a programme that people from all over the world can can take advantage of and can, and can, uh, can learn about this wonderful material. So this is something that would have been nice to do or, or would have been a nice to have just two or three months ago. But now people are being forced to put more eggs in this online digital basket. Now, Randy, you mentioned before that you consume a lot of content online, whether that's webinars, virtual events or podcasts. Um, but where do you see the future or, or the importance of online content, especially given such during such testing times that we're now encountering? Back when the last recession happened, the company I was with at the time had a number of, um, well, we, we had marketing budget cuts as well. And suddenly, um, you know, some of the activities we would typically do weren't going to be done. But the one thing we were left with, we were fortunate enough to already have a, a webinar program in place. We kind of doubled and tripled down on webinars. And um, it, 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 we just did something like I think it was about ninety um, of uh, ninety webinars in the English language, let alone non-English language ones that um, were. And and it had a very important unintended benefit, or a couple of them. A number of our we, we oriented them at the time towards the scientific staff, and the scientific staff had more time on their hands to jump into them, and became a little bit of a friendly competition. So they they started volunteering more um, subjects to do it. But the so that was great uh, on the one hand, but on the other hand, our company um, gave the uh, appear uh, appearance of being much more active in the marketplace because we were promoting these primarily by, by email marketing. As you mentioned, they weren't directed towards a country. They were in the English language. So they were, you know, essentially global. And we came out of that year after doing, it, it was a, almost a crushing workload from a webinar standpoint, but all, all of this information was good, valuable scientific information it was all recorded for for use for years to come. It was pretty timeless, and but again, the unintended consequence was we came through it with many companies, um, uh, you know, potential customers looking at us as an instrument. We saying, "Wow, the, the, these guys are even more active during incredibly tough times." So the truth was, we had our own pain, but we did get through it. So I, I think podcast is kind of the next area where. Um, it's just becoming so convenient to take in information 
um, that I, I I see it exploding in in popularity um, in in many different industries. Yeah, I think I'm the same on the train every day, just like yourself in the car on the daily commute. It's so easy to access content on your chosen topic, whether that's sports or finance or news or entertainment or marketing even. Um, services like Spotify and Acast, iTunes, it's never been easier to download and listen to your favourite shows on the go. Um, in fact, we're seeing that as a podcast producer right now, we're seeing the flip side of that and how easy it is for people to create con- uh, content for you know audio content podcasts. Um, even I think there's something like a million podcasts out there now. So it's it's never been easier to get your content out there in audio format. Okay, so the next question is about resistance to change. Now, bearing in mind that people don't usually change unless they are forced to, uh, case in point, uh, working from home and you know collaborating offline um, following COVID-19. Um, but how resistant to change are sales and marketing leaders within science companies? Long-tenured leaders in science companies, especially smaller companies, tend to have come from either the scientific or um, engineering or, or kind of product uh, development upbringing, um, where success in these types of companies was often based on product innovation. But these days, it's much harder. They, you know, there's a lot more competition. They say products are more often um, in the minds of customers. They're separated by inches, not miles anymore. And and I've run into it, frankly, a number of people that um, they they have MBAs. But the, the trouble I see with an MBA from 20 or 30 years ago is it, it hardly, I believe it hardly prepares one for the market and marketing realities of today. Um, so it, 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 the, the idea of risk aversion or uh, resistance to change, it's not a, certainly it's not a question of intelligence in our industry. It's more a matter of, um, I think, relevance. And I, I've heard people say, frankly, that Marketing has changed more in the last five years than the previous fifty, and I, I would say I think it's it, perhaps it's even more than that, and it's even accelerating. So, as I was referring to earlier, so you know, for many people in this industry, a long time, um, they they they're hardworking people. They certainly work more than five days per week and eight hours per day, but they often focus on their core strengths, as I was mentioning, the product design, the next great product feature, um, scientific concerns and applications. And to a larger degree, the modern marketing world has just progressed too fast for them to keep up with. So um, resistance to change for those reasons is um, certainly holds back some companies in terms of the what's available to them in in terms of marketing excellent so i've got a quote here from your good self when we were both at the inbound 2016 uh, conference over in boston massachusetts at the hubspot conference that is um the customer is in charge of the buying process a quote that has aged very well um over the last four years you also mentioned that companies are now separated by inches which moves me on to my next question. So in 2020, just how are companies differentiating themselves and how have scientific manufacturers evolved over time given such a competitive landscape? It's moved through the customer satisfaction, uh, customer support phase, and then focus on applications. All those things are important, but it is more and more moving 
in the direction of customer experience and um, you know how is the customer using this equipment um, and, and perhaps one of the most important um, things that that influences sales and marketing is is being able to communicate the problems that are solved by using uh, equipment or or apparatus in the in the laboratory or the science field focusing on the customer needs as opposed to, I mean, when I grew up in this industry, it was all about features and benefits and talking about our, our, our product um, and why it was so good. And, but these days, frankly, if customers, are, if, if, if companies are surviving, products are all pretty good quality. It's the companies that are kind of orienting themselves to what the problems are that the customer is looking to solve and talking to those issues that are getting ahead and seem to be well placed for the for the future um it's because clearly it's not just about the product it's it's much more about the customer and what is going to help the customer's uh working life in investing in these kinds of products absolutely so couldn't agree more that the customer experience is paramount it's absolutely everything we're just going to change tack now uh we're going to discuss uh, sales and marketing. So when, when recruiting your new marketing department, what skills do you now recruit for in 2020? First, before looking for candidates, what are our current challenges and how are they best solved? Um, so I can, I, I use a process of sifting through kind of a myriad of digital marketing channels and capabilities and then agree on what are the ideal skill sets. Is it we need um, more competence in terms of email marketing? Is it, or is it content marketing? Or is it social media? Um, and I think if a company is selling an established, relatively mature technology that's a market leader in its space, and, and if they have an external field sales team, um, that model lends itself, you mentioned earlier, to HubSpot, the, the inbound marketing kind of approach is ideal for for, for, for companies like that. So I would look for somebody strong with um, everything surrounding the in, inbound marketing concept, um, um, you know, search engine optimization, website optimization, and most likely for an organization like that, lead generation is going to be important for them. So um, somebody with a background in those areas would be um, more preferable. You know, I've heard the phrase used by, I, I forget who coined it, but they, 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 they refer to it as a T-shaped marketer. That is, the, the shape of the T consists of all the um, kind of the digital marketing disciplines I was mentioning before, kind of across the top of the T. But then it's the depth of knowledge. So really, kind of like what's been wrestled uh, with in sales in this industry for years, basically, what are you looking for when, you, when companies say they want a digital marketing person? Um, you know, the, it's it's understanding the balance between looking for a generalist, you know, somebody kind of a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Versus, do we want to tailor um, the the hire towards a narrower set of um, capabilities, but depth of knowledge in those areas? And I think that's to people that are not terribly familiar with what's happening in digital marketing these days. I I've seen too many companies make the mistake of just hiring somebody but not really understanding the need to match the skill set to the needs of the business. 
So a long answer to your short question, Frankie, but that's, that's what I, how I go about doing it. Yeah, indeed. So very interesting uh, that you mentioned about generalists versus specialists. And certainly how I see it working uh, from my position, um, I'm, I'm more of a gen- generalist who sits in the middle of the AZO network team where I've got um, I've got a video team, I've got an SEO team, I've got AdWords, Google Ads, content, etc. I draw, I bring guys in and I draw out th- their knowledge and I, I basically they help me in, as in a consultative role whenever I need any of those activities or tasks doing uh, where I'm kind of sat in the middle as a bit of a, a central midfielder or a quarterback for you guys across the pond um, just coordinating things so project managing um, okay so brilliant so now moving on um, applying that theme but in a sales context what do you look for when hiring a modern day sales professional I read a, a quote recently from uh, the, the CEO of Microsoft, and I think it put things in perspective. He said, and it, in, in much more eloquent words than I could, but it, it, it really hit home in terms of what I look for. And I think it's someone that has a, he called it a growth mindset for, versus a fixed mindset. And the, 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 the simplest way to explain that would be uh, people that are kind of learn-it-alls versus he described as know-it-alls, meaning no matter what stage you are in your career these days, the people that um, are intellectually curious, always striving to learn, um, and and certainly in sales, that's critical as well, because it's not in, any longer just about the product. So um, those those lifetime learners. Um, if it, it certainly, if it's good enough for the uh, CEO at Microsoft, it's. Um, I think it's just as applicable in in our industry as well. There's so much to to learn to be super successful at selling these days. That um, it's so much about the customer. There's no way somebody can not be in this industry, just walk into it, and and be great at it. They have to work at it over a long period of time and continue working at it. So. That, those would be what I would look for in a, a modern uh, sales professional. Yeah, excellent. So interesting you mentioned characteristics. We echo that when we hire for salespeople, we actively seek for you know, coachable, coachability, um, empathy so that they can understand, put themselves in, in people's uh, shoes and understand their feelings and, and uh, their emotions. Um, and also, of, of course, recruiting for learning and hunger and having that sort of fight, that fight of the dog in, inside of them. Um, okay, super. So moving on to our next question, uh, how important is outsourcing for the modern marketing department? Absolutely critical. And in, in a world is changing this fast. There's just, I, I see no way that the typical uh, resourced um, marketing department can stay up to date with taking care of the the short-term needs of the business as well as all the changes going on and um, and 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 within each of these channels whether we talk search engine optimization or marketing automation um, uh, uh, social media it's just changing um, too fast for a small staff to be experts in all these different areas so I, I, I the really the really successful marketers have very good networks to tap into to supplement their own resources, which usually are never enough to uh, 
to take care of all the expectations that people have for them for the uh, for the um, you know, for their for their business. So the need to work with companies that are strong and have depth of knowledge in many of these different areas um, is absolutely critical to a marketing team's success. Yeah, so I couldn't agree more. It's the it's the old generalist versus specialist debate all over again, except this time you're outsourcing to an external company or agency. Okay, so moving swiftly on, we're going to talk shop. Um, bit of a geeky question, but I won't apologize for that because we're talking about marketing. And uh, specifically, what is your favorite uh, MarTech piece of software? I, for me, it's, it's, it's WebEx, uh, a tool like BrainShark and SurveyMonkey. And these are three tech tools that I was lucky enough to be involved with in the early days for these organizations. So they've had the staying power and they've grown. And to people that get involved with the right technologies, um, if they do stand the test of time and evolve, some of these cloud technologies, um, they just keep adding better and better features, um, become much more powerful. And so that's one way some of the companies I've been involved with has been able to innovate in marketing, not necessarily from our own great ideas, but just these tech, the good technology tools keep evolving and suddenly you have capabilities that you didn't even uh, know about when you invested in the technology. And so for me, the, and gosh, the, the period of time we're going through now with web conferencing, there's, there's a lot of suppliers out there. WebEx just happens to be one that I've always uh, liked, but there's, there's plenty of other choices out there um, for, you know, whether it's even remote demos of equipment to companies that don't, have the the field resources in place that that technology is just getting better and better and i think will become even more popular in a lasting way after current circumstances uh, brain sharks a sales enablement tool but it can be used for so much more than added um i i can say frankly i've never been in an organization where anybody has said yeah communication is great there but i i've been able to use brain shark as a tool to drastically help communication around the world um what you know when the ceo wants to send out a message a tool like BrainShark can help do that but it can be used in many functions within the company and then survey monkey is you know it went from a free simple survey tool to it's not necessarily free now or there might still be a free version but the ability to find out what customers are thinking as opposed to guessing at it is incredibly important as we move more and more into a customer experience driven world so those are kind of three of my my favorite tools okay great stuff so i'm going to move on now to talk about uh, alignment specifically between sales and marketing so if you'll allow me to paint a brief picture uh, marketing puts on a webinar or a trade show or, or an ebook or, or a piece of collateral that generates lots and lots of downloads lots of interaction lots of engagement lots of marketing qualified leads um, and then passes them all over to to sales um, and sales turns around and says you know these leads these leads are a load of crap they're terrible what are you passing us all of these leads for um, in reality I think we know that you know, um, marketing qualified leads and a sale qualified lead are completely different um, and I think anyone who's passing more than sort of 10 15 percent tops of their leads across and calling them 
sales qualified is um, probably needs to re-examine their sort of lead scoring and their strategy. Um, but what does that mean to you, the alignment between sales and marketing? For me, it's an, it, the word alignment means an awful lot. And I think it's, it's marketing organizations moving away from, and I think most have that I've seen in B2B, the days of, oh, it's all about, you know, kind of subjective aesthetics. It's marketers being much better with being data-driven, but a lot of the KPIs and metrics have to be in line with this um, driving the success of sales. That's not their only responsibility, but when marketing people can talk about the sales process and, and um, um, you know, qu- quality of leads and actually measure these things in, a, in an agreed way with sales. And this is what I find missing in a lot of organizations. They haven't done, I don't know, the, the, the basic groundwork of planning for what sales and marketing really means. And it's a shame that if, if so many years have gone by that we still get down to this, um, you know, two groups blaming each other that um, unfortunately the companies I've worked with in recent years ha- just haven't been like that and and are evolving. Um, but uh, yeah, as I said, the consulting part of me more often than not in, in the small to mid-sized companies will still operate uh you know that way and 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 i'm a bit shocked frankly in this day and age that companies are still sending all their leads to field salespeople to qualify because the cost of sales in this business is quite high i will say this i i don't know any very successful scientific companies that are still throwing everything onto the responsibility of an already overloaded field sales team. It's just, um, it's almost a subject for another podcast about how do you go about lead qualifying these days when scientists are in the lab and it takes four calls, telephone calls to actually reach somebody. How, what, what's really happening is, and I've seen this in some companies, it, 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 it can be easy to generate leads these days, quantities. Um, but if they're, you know, so-called passive leads like MQLs, when you throw them to a field sales organization, the reality is some field sales organizations are calling people once uh, at most and not chasing after the rest. But you'll never get, you'll never solve that by by not having measure by, yeah by not having measurement measurements in place. And there's still a, for me a surprising amount of companies that are still doing it. What I would say is in a very out of date way. Yeah. So we're always advising clients to to put the necessary tracking and software on on their website so that they can see where the initial touch point was. So they can see from that initial uh, campaign referrer or campaign source all the way through to like marketing and sales qualified leads all the way as it becomes a more and more qualified opportunity eventually to becoming a hopefully um, the end game is a close one piece of business. So a revenue generating opportunity and that all gets tracked within the CRM. It takes a bit of setup, but it is, I mean, it's worth it. And it's a thing of beauty when you get things like that set up. Um, you know, you, you're able to automate those sort of small processes 
um, and then you can it enables you to scale and grow at a larger scale. But you know, equally, it's important. In fact, it's so important to put the lead scoring in place because if you don't put the lead scoring in place, um, you think if you pass 100% of your leads through to the sales team, as opposed to maybe only the top 10 or 20% of qualified, really qualified sales leads, then you're going to get a lot of friction between the two uh, you know, sales and marketing camps. Okay, so just before we wrap up, last question. Um, how has the role of the trade show evolved over the last five years? And how does that compare against virtual events, the virtual webinars and things which are becoming more prominent? Um, th- there's a lot of talk around uh, how they're going to replace them, but surely there's no substitute for meeting somebody, shaking their hand and meeting the whites of their eyes and, and you know, developing that relationship that you get. Uh, you can only get that in person. Oh, uh, absolutely. So I, I, I think it's a, it's going to be a rebalancing. Um, and, and, and you mentioned an important thing. I, I, uh, I think in, in some respects, sales will be um, on, as affected or perhaps more affected by exactly what you said, that parts of the sales process, depending on what company sales process is, um, will be conducted remotely. Um, you know, whether it's presentations or perhaps more companies will give a shot to trying product demonstrations if their products lend themselves to that kind of thing. Um, I think we're going to see more of that. To me, it's it's clear that there will be more of a transition to, to digital types of activities, but it's not going to go, you know, from 0% to 100%. You know, there's it's just going to push more people in that direction but as you said, you still need the people interaction. As everybody says, people buy from from people, and um, you know there's still an important role for sales. And um, so, I, I to me, it's it's we're going to have to see how it how how it all um, how it all plays out. Excellent, and that's a great note on which to end the show. Randy, thank you very much for your time and your expertise there and your insight. My pleasure, Frankie. Nice speaking with you as always, and um, have a great day. Fantastic. Thank you, Randy, for sharing your insight, and a big thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe in iTunes, Spotify, or at azonetwork.com, or wherever you usually listen to your podcasts. Join us next week, where we will be joined by Alex Cairns, the MD of Move Marketing, and Dr. Ian Birkby, who is the CEO here at Azo Network. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening.